I always say this, um, the mindset trumps the skill set, right? Mm. You can, you can um, learn how to invest in real estate, right? Analyze deals and so forth, negotiate, seller financing, all this stuff is skill set. But if you're scared to pull the trigger, if you're scared to take action, right? If you're fearful of making a mistake, all that skill set and knowledge that you have will not benefit you. So it's important to have the right mindset of an entrepreneur, because that's what I shared. I had the mindset of a self-employed or an employee, I had the self-employed or employee type mindset. But once I switched gears and started thinking as an entrepreneur, a business owner, that's when my results began to change. Perfect. Perfect. everyone Jamel Gibbs here welcome to another podcast episode and we have another special guest today we're going to talk about investing in small apartments this is a topic that you guys have uh, recently enjoyed uh, we've talked about this before but I want you to hear it from a different perspective as well so we have a, a special guest who's been in the real estate for quite some time now uh, he has a, a YouTube channel as well. I definitely want you guys to check that out. We'll talk about all of that stuff throughout this podcast. You guys are going to love this uh, information that we're going to talk about. And we're going to go through a step-by-step -step process, how you can go from where you are right now to where you want to go in real estate. And that's what this podcast is all about, right? So I want to welcome my good friend Juan Pablo to the call. What's up, man? Hey, what's going on, Jamel? Thanks for having me. Oh, man, it's a pleasure, brother. So I came across uh, your YouTube channel a little while back. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the information. I said, I got to get this brother on the, uh, on the podcast, and we got we to gotta educate some people on how they can get started in multi-units as well, man. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the real estate business? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. So I um, went to school down here in Georgia, University of Georgia. Graduated, graduated college and didn't have a job lined up. You know, had a decent GPA. And at that time, I wanted to get into like financial services, be a financial planner. I would kill it on the interviews, but they would say, hey, we can't hire you because your credit, right? It, it's a conflict of interest for your credit to be in dire straits and advise clients on their financial matters. Mm. You know, so it was, it was very tough. So I had odds and end jobs, and then um, I ended up getting a job in New York City working for the government because they don't do credit checks, right? So I'm working for the government, and I've always been a competitive, entrepreneurial, you know, growing up. And so I decided to create a contest. I said, you know what? Whoever does the most work in a week, I'll treat you out to lunch. Applebee's, two for 20, right? I give you a certificate of appreciation for a job well done and an umbrella that's sitting in our supply closet collecting dust. So I sent out this mass email to my team and our results were through the, through the roof, Jamel. Unfortunately, um, at the end of that contest, my supervisor called me to her office and she asked me, hey, what do you think you're doing? And you know, I said it with a smirk, like, get results. Ain't that what it looked like? And she said, well, who do you think you work for? You work for the government. There's paperwork, there's policies, there's procedure and so forth. You can't incentivize your staff with monetary value. And I said, well, you take us out to drinks, out for drinks every Friday for a, a week well done. And she said, well, I'm not sending out a broad email advertisement. Mm. And she said, you know what? As a result of this, uh, this contest, I got to write you up. 
I, ha I have to put this in your file as a warning. Don't do this again. And this is like the best advice she gave me. She said, perhaps the government isn't for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're better suited for the private sector. So when I walked out her office, Jamel, I did feel a little discouraged, a little upset about it because I, th I thought I should have been congratulated. We got the results, right? But I realized at that moment, you know what? I got to stop treating real estate investing as a hobby and treat it as a part-time job. Because previously I would watch a podcast. I mean, I watched a video here and there, listen to a podcast, read a book, go to a seminar here and there. But I, I didn't like lock down and, and fully commit to being a real estate investor. So after that, that instance, I went to my cubicle, I typed up my resignation letter. I'm not sure if you can see it, but it's on that bookshelf behind me, the exact same one. I typed up the resignation letter and I posted it for four years from that date. Say, hey, I'm gonna quit my job at four years at 30 years old. What year is this? What year is, uh, oh, um, this was uh, 2006 or 2005, somewhere nice. around that time. Nice, man. So it's been a yeah. little while. You said you, you were a couple of things. You mentioned that you were in New York. I'm from Brooklyn originally. I thought you had an accent because I watched your videos. You say you're in North Carolina. I'm like, no, nah, he sounds like he has a New York, New York accent. Yeah, I'm I'm from Brooklyn originally. I've been in. I lived in Pennsylvania for eight years. Bought a couple of hundred houses there. And where where in Pennsylvania? I was in Reading, right outside the Reading area. Oh, okay, okay. They have uh, shopping areas over there, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. I'm from Pittsburgh originally. Okay, got you, man. And, and I'm I'm currently in Greensboro, North Carolina. Got it. Uh, so, yeah, we've been in, you know, uh, I've lived in multiple states, bought real estate in multiple states as well, man. But um, it, it's always the same. But I love the fact that you kept that resignation letter, man. That, that's like the trophy right there, which reminds you of why you got into real estate in the first place, right? Yes, it is. It is. And I have to remind myself, too, being that I, I do online business as well, that it's a constant reminder that you always have to set up your assets or your business to the point that it's passive. Otherwise it'll be a job for you. Mm. So it's a reminder that, Hey, remember you quit your day job. So stop thinking like an employee or stop carrying yourself hourly as an employee. You're an entrepreneur. So to create the teams and the systems to operate your asset or to operate your business. Absolutely, man. Which, is, which lends itself to what we're going to talk about today, man, that passive income. A lot of people forget that wholesale, you know, most of the people watching this or listening to this podcast uh, came into real estate because of the wholesale fad, right? Let, let's face it. A lot of people online teach wholesaling, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with wholesaling real estate, but you got to expand. Wholesaling, in my opinion, is just a small fraction of what you can do, what the possibilities really are in real estate. Real estate investing is all about building cash flow, in my opinion. So it definitely lends itself to that part of the conversation. But before we, we, we jump into that, how did you end up in the multifamily niche? Uh, great question. So after that experience with my supervisor, I started to network. And so mm -hmm. I found a networking event in Harlem in which the facilitator, Dwayne, he actually owned some multi-unit properties. So, I, you know, I was green, fresh. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what a cash or cash return was or ROI. I, I didn't know any of that stuff. NOI, I didn't know any of that uh, financial metrics and stuff. But I, I, I felt like I belonged. So I would keep showing up once a month. And his main thing was this. Don't call me. 
Don't text me. Don't email me. I'm not creating a curriculum, a book, none of the sort, no training, no coaching. I don't do none of that. <laughs> if you want to learn real estate, show up to the meeting once a month, period. So I never had his phone number. I was just show up and it would just be a Q&A session. So while I'm sitting there trying to, you know, take notes and understand what's going on, I actually had uh, one gentleman who's a member of the group. His name was Steve. Mm -hmm. He came to, to, to the front of the group and he was sharing a deal he just closed. So he closed a deal in Pittsburgh, PA, a six unit. And I, I was floored by that. I'm like, this dude is my age, bought a multi-unit property and purchased it out of state. So immediately after that meeting, I said, hey, man, phenomenal story. I'm happy for you. Congrats. What are you doing after this meeting? And he said, uh, nothing really. What's going on? And I said, hey, I got to treat you out to lunch. And so I asked him the three M's, which is pretty much the money, the market, and the model. Meaning, hey, how'd you raise your capital for the six unit? Oh, you know, I always get a mortgage. Well, which mortgage company do you use? Do you have a contact person? Okay, so that's 80%. How do you cover the other 20%? Oh, I use seller financing and I use private money. Seller financing, how do you negotiate that? So he told me how you negotiate that. And then what about private money? How do you get private money? Or the lenders or the equity partners? How do you, how do you raise capital? And then I asked him about the market. So, so tell me about Pittsburgh. Why Pittsburgh? Oh, man, it's, it's not too far from New York City. It's a six-hour drive. And this it's, is affordable. And I, and I use, um, and I invest in Pittsburgh because um, it's low income, low crime, and it gives me decent returns. Okay, well, what side of the market do you invest in? Oh, you know, I invest in the city of Pittsburgh, neighboring suburbs. Well, who do you use to find deals? Oh, I use this wholesaler named Tom. You might like it as information. And then the last M is pretty much the model. So what is your business model? Oh, I only focus on five units and up. Well, why is that? Because mortgage lenders are cool with seller financing. You can't get that with residential properties. Mm. Okay, well, what else do you do? Oh, I know me average, you know, a purchase price of 30000 per door. Um, why is that? Because it, it's just affordable, you know, and I have to make sure that a property meets the 1% rule, not the 2% rule. A 1% rule is the, uh, the monthly rent is, is pretty much 1% of the purchase price. If it's 2%, that means it's cash flowing like crazy, so that should raise a brow. Like, why is this, why is this seller selling at such a, a big discount? Something must be wrong with it. It must be in a bad neighborhood. So pretty much over lunch, I got all the juice about investing in multi-units, out-of-state, and how to raise the capital, in addition to other things I was doing to learn. So networking truly helped me out in learning how to invest in, in real estate in multi-units. Man, that, that's, that's awesome. And, and at the same time, man, you, not only did you build that relationship with this other investor, but you were able to get all the information, like you said, you really dug into the information and made it more of a conversation rather than a questionnaire. So yeah. uh, I think that's a, that's a huge, huge tip. If you guys are listening right now, uh, you definitely want to, you don't want to interrogate people, but you want to grab the information as you're talking to them. Great, great positioning right there, man. So what's the biggest misconception that people might have uh, when they're stepping into the multi-unit world? That you got to have deep pockets. Mm. That you got to have deep pockets. Because um, one of the things that I do, you, and deep pockets, and most people think they can just start out, start out doing uh, multifamily right away. 
Well, if you're using a mortgage, most mortgage lenders are portfolio lenders, which means they're lending out their own portfolio. So I don't do mortgages with major banks like Bank of America, Wells Fargo. On the contrast, on the contrary, I actually go to local community banks, right? Because their lending criteria is less stringent, mm-hmm. right? But they, they lend out their own pocket, pocket, so to speak. But the only downside with them is they want to make sure you have some experience in that market. So you might have to cut your teeth, get your feet wet, doing a few residential properties, a single family here, a duplex there, until you gain enough experience that you can go into multifamily. So I purchased a multifamily, a five unit for $100,000, right? Which is affordable. That's uh, mm-hmm. uh, $20,000 per door, right? And, and with that property, it's not, you don't have to have that much of a deep pockets because 80% comes from the mortgage. I negotiated seller financing, so that's 10%. So that's $90,000 right there. And then the latter 10%, You can use partners, you can use business credit. I've used business credit as well. Just many different forms to to finance it. So it's really not that that difficult. And it's easier to raise profit money because most investors find it sexy. Oh, we're getting a a multifamily property? Oh man, I would love. And you can negotiate to be able to close on a multifamily property without putting any money up. So I've done that with limited partnerships. I just share with the partners like, hey, I'm putting in all the sweat equity, right? I'm structuring a deal. I'm bringing uh, the know-how to the table, the resources. I just need you to bring the cash and the credit. Yep. As a result of me structuring this deal, I get a percentage of the cash flow and I get a percentage of, of the equity. And you have to pay me an acquisition fee, which is typically one to 3% of the purchase price once we close on the property. And I like the fact that you mentioned uh, small local banks usually when you're dealing with the larger banks, it really is credit based. When you deal with the local, the small local banks or the, even a regional banks, it becomes more relationship based. So if they can see you perform over a certain period of time, uh, you'll have more money from that bank coming in uh, to buy more real estate than you know what to do with. Uh, oh, that's just. Speaking of which one of my lenders early on, my first time attempting to negotiate seller financing, she told me we can't do it. So I took her out to lunch, you know, just to warm her up. She was like the VP of um, finance or something like that in this local bank, S&T Bank in, in, uh, in, in Pennsylvania area. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, well, how can I make this work? You're telling me it can't work, but please share with me how can we make it work? She's like... I don't know why she looked both ways like she's, you know, about to tell me a secret. We're at a restaurant, so none of her coworkers are there. But she's like, all right, Juan, well, the way we can say yes to it is stretch out the amortization, meaning the time it takes to pay off the, the seller financing. Stretch it out from 20 years and negotiate a balloon payment. Tell the seller you're going to do interest only for about five years, and then the balloon payment, meaning the rest of the balance is right. due after five years. And what did you stretch the amortization out again? Uh, to 20 years. 20 years. 20 Got years, it. 5% interest, and then typically do an interest-only payments for the first five years. Yep. And I learned that from my mortgage broker. Excellent, excellent, man. Yep. So she actually helped you out in, in regards, well, she helped you, but you probably known this stuff already, you know, at that time. But, you know, you, you, you learn a little bit from her, 
let her feel like she's helping you. And then at the end of the day, you get the deal done. Yeah. So uh, most people obviously get started in a residential niche. This is, you know, this is a fact. And I think a lot of it is because of uh, the way people think. So when you got, when you made the transition, let's say from residential to commercial, did it take a mental shift for you? Did it take a mindset shift in order to, to be able to make that transition over? It did. It did. Um, what happened? So I, I posted in my resignation letter, right, to quit mm -hmm. my job in four years. So it's now year three. So I felt like Kobe in the fourth quarter, <laughs> right? I got a year left to actually live up to this resignation letter. So mm -hmm. it, was, it was a constant reminder, like, mind you, every day I'm looking at this resignation letter. And every day my mind is working, how can I make this happen? Right? For four years, imagine that. Right? It's not like I wrote a, my goal down in a journal and tossed it aside somewhere and went about my life. Every day I'm thinking about how to make this a reality. So I'm, I'm in year three. I bought a duplex by that time, a single family, and a four unit. So that's seven units so mm -hmm. far, but not enough. So I just closed on a four unit. And as a result of being a member of the networking group, you have to share the numbers of your deal. You get feedback and it's like a learning opportunity for, for newbies, right? So it was my turn to step up to the stage and share the numbers. So once I was done sharing the numbers, uh, my mentor, Dwayne, he, he asked me, he said, okay, how much more passive income you need to quit your job? And I said, I need about $2,000 a month in passive income to safely quit my job. And he's like, that's it? He's like, man, that's easy. Just get you a 10 unit. Right, and make sure each unit cash flows $200 a month. And I was thinking, Jamel, I'm like, that's easy. Bro, it took me three years to get seven. And you're telling me in one year I can get 10? But then I immediately arrested my thoughts. I remember there's a, there's a scripture that says, when two or three are gathered together as touching, anything they ask will be done unto them. Yep. So I'm like, why does he have more faith than me? Why am I doubting myself? And many of us do that, right? We feel inferior. Uh, self-doubt and I said you know what if he believes it I can do it now and I'm gonna do it yep. so around this time it was around Hurricane Sandy right when the power was out there was no subways uh it was near my birthday it's my mom for my birthday around 2013 ish something yeah, like that. yeah 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 so my mom for my birthday she uh sent me a book thinking real rich mm -hmm. by Napoleon Hill so I had no electricity, just had a candle. So I'm like, well, I can't watch TV. I can't go on the internet. So I might as well just read. And so I ended up reading that book and applying the principles in the book. And my mindset started to shift because um, another thing that happened is I ruptured my left Achilles tendon. Eesh. Like Kobe, like completely. How'd detached. you do that, man? Playing basketball or something? Playing basketball, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah getting crossed up. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you a little story. I was playing basketball last year. Uh, we, uh -huh. We're going back last May. Now I'm about to be 40 years old, but we're going back a year ago. I'm playing with my 18 year old nephew. He's talking junk. And oh, okay. We're in Pennsylvania, and I went to his graduation, shooting around, just warming up. I twisted my knee up, man. I had to fly uh -huh. all the way back to Greensboro, and. Uh, I was in so much pain, man. It, it was, it was, it was crazy. But uh, good thing is I didn't hurt 
I didn't uh, have to get any surgery or anything like that. But I, I just banged up my knee. For yeah. But yeah, man, basketball will do it to you when you start getting older, man. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, and I was in Atlanta too. So similar to you, I was out of state and I had to commute back right. you know, to, my, to my home in New Jersey, actually. So, um, so being that I couldn't work now for two months, I couldn't walk. So during that time, I'm like, well, I have a computer and I have a cell phone. So mm -hmm. I can't really drive for dollars. I, I can't really uh, go to networking events like I used to to raise capital. Uh, I, I can't go to my, my properties and, and evict tenants, you know, or ask them. I, I just couldn't do any of the mobile things. I was in mobile. And then the light bulb went off. Oh, you got to be a real estate entrepreneur and not a landlord. A landlord does all those activities that just name. Mm -hmm. They're everything from the CEO to the janitor. They're sweeping the front porch. They're changing the locks. They're evicting the tenants. They're screening new tenants. They're looking for properties. They're sending out direct mail. But we all start off that way. There's nothing wrong with that. Yep. I start off that way. How you learn, man. Yeah, that's how you learn, right? So then I decided, oh, what I had to do is document these processes and build a team so that they can implement this work. So then I started using um, leverage. I stopped using my personal savings. Mm. I started exploring more creative financing options such as master lease options, uh, as I shared earlier, seller financing, using business credit, using partners. And then that year alone, I ended up getting 21 units instead of 10. Wow. So because yeah, I, I switched gears and stopped thinking like a self-employed landlord and more so like a entrepreneur, a business. Or exceeded your expectations, man. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, so when you think about what were some of the obstacles that you faced outside of mindset, right? Uh, new investors, they tend to uh, have certain obstacles. What were some of the things that you faced as you were uh, along your journey? Uh, great question. I'll say one is, is the capital, mm. right? Because uh, initially, like most people, I use my savings or retirement accounts, but eventually that runs dry. Mm -hmm. And it sucks to live on a ramen noodle diet so you can invest. You know, like not doing anything for fun. I was scrimping and saving. And I'm like, this is the slow way to become financially free. At this rate, I won't be able to be financially free in four years. So I started using creative financing and using leverage. And that truly helped me uh, acquire the properties that I want, that, that I needed, actually. Leverage. Definitely, man. Uh, that was one of my biggest hurdles when I started as well, man. It took me 13 months to make my first $1,500 in real estate. My very next check after that was 48 grand, uh, but it took me a year to get my first private money lender. Uh, here's a kid, you know, I'm talking about myself and speaking in third person, but I grew up in Red Hook projects in Brooklyn. You're probably familiar with it. I didn't have any financial education. I didn't go to college. And here's, here's this young guy coming and asking someone to lend them a couple hundred grand with no experience <laughs> in real estate. So it took some time for me to be able to build that relationship and understand uh, what it took to build that relationship uh, at the time as well, man. So yeah, definitely fi uh, funding and, and financing is, uh, it was a major hurdle for me as well, man. And, um, and you want to automate it, that's the thing. Yeah. That was depending upon my money. Mm. So that's what I'm trying to drive home, like the self-employed, uh, what, what do I have to bring forth? But then I started thinking, well, an entrepreneur, they're responsible for setting up systems and teams. Right. So how can I create a system in which I'm always getting capital 
to, to fund my deals. And so I would, one of my resources were business credit. So I always use business credit about every six months to acquire properties. So that way, and that's why I call it the cash flow cycle. Mm -hmm. And there's four cycles of doing a deal. Find the money, find the deal, perform due diligence, and close. And you want to repeat that cycle. Right. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, and you use business credit, you said every six months. So uh, was it difficult? Uh, I guess this is kind of um, stepping into a different part of the conversation, but was it difficult to build that business credit to, to be able to purchase real estate with? Great question. Yeah, so in regard to building it, that's uh, more so corporate credit. Mm -hmm. That's a uh, business credit without any personal guarantee. It's definitely possible, but at the time, I didn't have uh, full documentation to prove the performance of my business. Meaning, gotcha. I didn't have bank statements, P&L statements, tax returns, merchant account statements. I didn't have an 80 payday score. My business wasn't compliant. Those are like all the things you need to obtain business credit without a personal guarantee. So I decided to outsource it and uh, found a company that provided me with business credit. It is with a personal guarantee. So they do take a look at my credit report, mm -hmm. but the business credit cards do not show up on my credit unless I default. But my mindset was, well, I'd rather use one credit card with, let's say, Bank of America and have 10 tenants paying off the expenses as well as the debt service. Yeah, that makes sense, man. Most definitely. Back in like 2008, I started building business credit as well. I oh, went yeah. through companies like Granger and Uline and things like that to get it started. And then from there, it was a, a, a office, not office, Max Staples uh -huh. uh, was another one. Uh, and then from there, we started uh, tapping into some, uh, some normal business lines from companies like Wells Fargo and stuff like that. But um, business credit is definitely a great resource to, to build as well. But like you said, you got to automate your business. That's what creates a real business. Um, other, other, if you're not automating some of the processes and, and, and uh, the steps in your business, ultimately you're creating a, a self, a high paying self-employed job versus a business. So you definitely, you got to use automation and people in order to be able to run a, a truly run a business. Would you agree with that? I agree. And I'll also say you have to use the resources that you have at your disposal. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. the reason why I use business credit early on is simply because investors didn't want to invest with me mm -hmm. because their mindset was, okay, um, so you need 50,000. All right. Uh, show me your, your track record. Where's the proof? And I'm like, well, I don't have any properties because I need your money to get some properties. <laughs> and they're like, well, I don't feel comfortable giving you my money if you don't even got no experience. <laughs> it was like a catch 22. Yeah. Right. So I realized like, man, raising private money was extremely hard for me because I had no credibility. Yeah. I had no, no proven track record. So I said, okay, well, what can I get my hands on to start establishing that experience? So I leveraged my personal credit. So then once I start establishing my personal credit, getting business credit and getting properties under my belt and my portfolio, then at that moment, I'm walking around with some clout. Yeah. yeah. Right now, like, yeah, I got 30 units. What's, what's going on? What's up? Oh, you want to invest with me? Well, let me, let me think about it. I get back to you. And it's a different conversation. Yep. Completely. You control the conversation at that point, especially when you got something backing you up, man. Good stuff. Oh, uh, quick question, man. So, um, 
I'm just sitting here thinking about as, as we're talking, you know, obviously um, we have a lot of newbies on the line right now. This is great information for them. What are some things that they should be mindful of when they're stepping into the five-ish? Because here's the deal, guys. Anything from a, when you consider residential real estate, anything from a one to a four unit is considered residential. Uh, when you step into the commercial world, five units and up, you're going to have to put down 20%. And that's because it's considered commercial real estate. So that's one thing that you definitely want to think about. What are some other things that uh, our listeners should be mindful of? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. With residential, like my first property was a duplex. I got an FHA. So I lived in one unit, ran out the other, 3.5% down payment. But with commercial, it's typically 20% or higher for down payment. Another thing with commercial, just piggybacking off the lending side, oftentimes the mortgage resets every five years. Mm. So you, it's very rare, don't get me wrong, the, the economy always changes, markets always change. So at the time it's recording, it's very rare that you can get a 30-year fixed mortgage on a commercial property. Mm -hmm. That's unheard of, right? Yeah. It's typically, the interest rates are low. They might be 4.5%, 5%, but every five years it may change. Um, the other thing with mortgages as well with commercial properties, unfortunately, there's no servicing, which means if you're doing residential, let's say you use um, Bank of America as your mortgage company, they'll collect the PITI, your principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, and they'll pay out those, those people. But with commercial, most local community banks that I mentioned earlier, they don't do that. You have to pay your own separate tax bill, which may be quarterly. And you know, there's three different taxes. You have the county tax, the school tax, and you had the local municipality tax, the borough tax. So you have this one, the borough may say, hey, I want it every six months. The, the municipality may say, we want it every month. The, the county may say, we want it every quarter. And then you have to pay all the insurance separate as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, just the management of the bill paying was uh, a pain for me to the point where, you know, I had to pay people to manage my bills. And if you're not organized, it's another thing with commercial because there's more units, right? If you're not organized, it can put you in trouble. Because like most of us, you might have a day job and you invest in real estate on the side, right? Nice and weekends or sometimes even during the job. And as I'm going through all this Jamel trying to figure this all out, I realized, man, my boss is mad because I didn't give him the report on time. Or oh man, his agent no longer wants to send me deals because I stood her up. I forgot I had an appointment with her. Or I'm getting late pays on my credit report and it's not because I didn't have the money. I just forgot to pay the bill. For one property, a multi-unit property, I might get like eight or nine different bills every month or quarterly or monthly or, or yearly. Right? So you have to make sure you're organized to make sure that all those vendors are, are, are being paid. Would you recommend hiring someone to help you out with this part of the process? Maybe a bookkeeper or something like that? Yeah, I, I will say uh, first is... Um, this is a, it's a methodology I live by. It's more so don't delegate if you can automate and mm. don't automate if you can eliminate. Mm. I like right? Don't delegate I, if you can automate. Don't automate if you can eliminate. Correct. Got it. That's, that's like a model. Because, that. you know, initially myself, oh, I need to hire someone. Like, hold on, hold on. Do you really need to hire someone? Or can this be automated through technology? Mm. 
Is there like some bill pay feature with your bank? Or is there something you can set it up? Then it's like, well, hold on, hold on. Why automate this if it's not really affecting the bottom line? Can we just eliminate it altogether? Mm. Yeah, so that's the, the methodology I always operate now. It's just like, just getting lean. You know, sometimes we do things Man. Why as a reminder, and it's just a waste of time. Man, I got to tell you, I'm glad you said get lean because so many people, I mean, we get, we get caught up, right? We think we have to have all of this extra stuff going on when in reality being lean, in my opinion, is 10 times, it's far better. And I learned that the hard way. If you're lean in your business, first of all, you're keeping more profits. <laughs> yeah. But in addition to that, I mean, you just have less headaches all the way around, man. So get lean in your business. I love the fact that you mentioned that. Um, that, that was, that was a key point right there. Um, so if we had to give our listeners, let's say a five-step process, three to five steps to, to going from where they are right now to where they want to go in the business, which is, let's say that the ultimate goal is getting their first unit. What would, how would you, uh, I guess, how would you position that as a step-by-step process for someone that's just getting started? All right. Great question. Great question. So I would say, uh, I call this in my book the road to financial freedom which basically means like if you're taking a road trip from uh greenville to to redding pennsylvania let's say you have one of those old school gps's the first thing you gotta do is put in your final destination you just can't say redding pennsylvania you have to put a specific location right and a, a specific address and then you know those old school gps's you got to put your starting point as well, right? Oh, I'm not just starting from Greensboro or, or Greensville. I have to put my exact address. And then the GPS calculates the route to get there. So I'll say if you're getting started, the first thing is determine the end from the beginning. That's what Dr. Stephen Covey said in the Seven Habits of How Affected People. First thing you got to do is with specificity, where do you want to be at? Most people say, oh, I want to be financially freedom, financially free. How's that specific? It's not. It's not. not clear enough. Not clear enough. Yeah, especially on the street. What do you want to like? Right. I want to be happy. I want to be healthy. I want to be rich. I want to be wealthy. I want to be financially free and independent. No, that's quantifiable. Right. I want to be in shape. How, how many pounds do you want to lose? How many? How much do you want to weigh? What waist size do you want? All right. You have to get specific. How much cash? You know, how much cash flow you want to get? What? How many hours a week you want to work? Mm. What is your current reality? What is your credit score? What is your debt to credit ratio, your debt to income ratio, right? How much capital do you have at your disposal? What, have you filled out a personal financial statement, an income statement or a balance sheet so you can leverage your assets? And, and it's like, if you don't look at those numbers, it's foolish for us to believe that we can manage those numbers of, of, of rental properties, right? Because you have to sweep your own front porch before you sweep someone else's. You got to make sure you're prudent when managing your personal finances before you can do that from a business. So once you figure out those two things with specificity, this is where I want to be at financially. This is where I'm at now financially. In between that GPS, that's the cash flow cycle. Mm. Step one, find the money. Okay, well, how can I leverage my money? One of the things I did, Jamel, was, oh, I got a car free and clear. I went to my credit union and they said, okay, we can put a car note on it. It was basically a cash out refinance. They say, okay, we can, the, the Kelly Blue Book value is 7,500. 
we can cut you a check for 7,000. You have to pay us 100 bucks a month. Right? I would have known that if I hadn't completed a balance sheet. You know, or, or my credit to see how much capital I need right. to, to uh, see if I get qualified for a mortgage. And then second step, find the money, find the deal. So you want to find the property that fits your pockets. Most people do it reverse. They find a deal, then they're running around like crazy, like a chicken with his head cut off to try to find the money. But no, find the deal. And it makes you credible because if, if I'm an agent and you cold call me looking for properties and I find you a property and find out that you can't qualify for a mortgage or you don't have no capital, you wasted my time. Yep. You lose credibility on my site. And the real estate world is small, right? It's a small world to the point where people start talking. And then after you find the deal, perform due diligence because everything that's glitter is not gold, right? You might find a sweet deal and realize, whoa, these leases are made up. Whoa, these, these expenses were underestimated. Well, the rent was inflated. Whoa, this property's in beat up shape. So you wanna do a property inspection, do due diligence on the financials, so you can use that as negotiating power to get credits at closing. And then last, close. Make sure either you manage it yourself, decide if you want to hire a property manager, audit the HUD and make sure that's accurate, and just think about your next move because it's a cycle. You want to continue to replicate that. And one of the things I've done to make sure that I was being held accountable, as I shared, I had a mentor. You always want to have someone above you, and you want to have someone that's at your level for accountability purposes. And then you also want to have someone below you, so to speak, so you can kind of show them the way to get back. Absolutely, man. I had a, uh, I, I was reading a book not so long ago by, uh, I can't remember who it was, but he said exactly what you just said. Have some, uh, you should be affiliating with people below, at your level, and above you at all times. And that way you, you, you stay well-rounded, man. I love the fact that you mentioned that. Uh, great points, man. So fund the deal, find the deal, analyze the deal, close the deal. Those are your four, four steps. I love yeah. them. And if you follow in those steps, how can you lose? Right? So great call, man. If I, if our listeners wanted to get in contact with you, uh, how should they go about doing that? Oh, great question. So our website is 100%finance.com. So we have a free webinar for those who are just getting started. Cause I know sometimes like listening to a podcast and to me, when I went to my first group it sounded like Chinese it was a foreign language I didn't know what they were saying right but I felt like I belonged I just kept listening to the point I became fluent right so so similar you can go to the website check out our, our webinar and go to our YouTube channel as well 100% finance we have a bunch of videos to help you along your journey towards financial freedom excellent 100% uh, finance on YouTube and 100% finance com as well. Now we, we we've been talking a lot about books throughout this entire uh, podcast episode, man. What are you reading right now? Yeah, readers are leaders, man. <laughs> you That's right. Uh, a book a day keeps the competition away. <laughs> I like that, man. <laughs> I always say, make an offer a day keeps the bill collectors away. <laughs> uh, so what I'm reading right now, uh, a lot of books I read over and over. Like my top five, I read them at least five times each. So I'll say, Think and Grow Rich, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, The Four-Hour Work Week. Um, I will also say, The Science of Getting Rich. 
And what's another good book? And then Seven Habits of Happy People, I haven't said that. But what I'm reading now, and my book's over here, I'm rereading The 4-Hour Workweek, and I'm reading a book called The World is Flat. And that, that's a really dope book because um, it's opened my eyes as a business owner because um, we were talking about getting lean, right? I had about, what was it, last year? I had about nine full-time employees. I think it was nine or 10. And with this big staff, my monthly payroll was 65000 a month just for payroll, right? Because I'm paying these salaries. And that was a lot of weight on my shoulders, too, to, to make sure that everyone, you know, got paid. But then I realized I wasn't lean. Mm. I was being very wasteful. You know, so once I started digging deep into the business, inspecting everything, I realized that my staff was inflated. And what world is flat, it, what it basically means, Jamel, is, it's a level, a level playing field now, meaning you really don't have to just focus on hiring Americans. That's there's right. People in the Philippines, there's people, I have people working for me in the Philippines in Serbia. I'm yep. hiring a guy to do my Facebook ads. I just spoke with him um, like an hour ago before this call. He's from Argentina. I have another young lady who helps me with uh, email marketing. She's from Canada. And it's like, you can leverage the uh what was it called the um the, the currency the currency rate is extremely cheaper in these countries where mm -hmm. i can have i remember i had one va who's from south carolina i was paying her 25 dollars an hour uh 10 hours a week so that's what a thousand bucks a month but then i realized i can hire bas from philippines at six dollars an hour so i can hire four of them to replace one of her yep Man, I, they can I do all my admin stuff for like real estate. They can pull lists for you. They can do cold call because their English is good as well. They can cold call right. on it, and they're and they're they're excited about six dollars an hour. Yeah, man, I paid my VA in the Philippines four dollars an hour. See, there, there you go. You I got do, a better man. fee. You know what's so funny, man? Um, just this past Monday, everybody was off. It was a day off for everybody. Yeah, we, we definitely uh, we we made three offers that day. We got three contracts signed. This week, we're, we're six contracts in already. And I'm paying them four bucks an hour. I also give them a bonus. I give them 5% of any deal that we close. Okay. Okay. Um, but he's, I mean, where he's located, anybody making a thousand bucks a month is considered to be rich. That's yeah. incredible to me. You know what I mean? So um, definitely leverage, uh, like you said, currency, lever leverage other people's time as well. And, um, you know, build... Uh, a team where it's not going to cost you $65,000 a month, but they can still get the job done. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're as, they can be as competent or even more yep. qualified. Yep. Exactly. And the difference maker is outside of that is they're hungry. Yep. They're looking they to work. work. They want to like, do a good job. That's I remember right. I interview one lady I hired, I hired, I mean, of course she's qualified, but I hired, I hired her off the, the mere strength that I didn't realize the Philippines was 12 hours away. I mean, 12 hours, 12 hours ahead. Mm -hmm. So I called her at 2 p.m. And she's like, hey, how's it going? Um, I'm yep. doing pretty good. It was a Zoom call. And, and I'm like, are you tired? At first, that threw me off. I'm like, why is she tired? And it's 2 o'clock. It occurred to me that she's 12 hours ahead. It was 2 a.m. Yeah. her time. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Justin, my, my guy Justin works overnight. And he sleeps during the day. So, I mean, he, time schedule. they crush it, man. They, they do very well, hardworking people, man. And, you know, I, I, I 100% agree with that. Um, 
You know, you can leverage other people, other countries, and get people who are just as competent, like you said, as people in this country, or even more so. Um, mm-hmm. it, it benefits, you know, the internet really, it, it creates a level playing field across the entire world. It really does, man, in my opinion. It's it a does. powerful tool. Yep. Any last words for our listeners today, Juan? Yes, I know we talked a lot about uh, books and so forth. I, I always say this, um, the mindset trumps the skill set, right? Mm. You, you can um, learn how to invest in real estate, right? Analyze deals and so forth, negotiate, sell financing, all this stuff is skill set. But if you're scared to pull the trigger, if you're scared to take action, right? If you're fearful of making a mistake, all that skill set knowledge that you have will not benefit you. So it's important to have the right mindset of an entrepreneur. Because that's what I shared. I had the mindset of a self-employed or an employee. I had the self-employed or employee type mindset. But once I switched gears and started thinking as an entrepreneur, a business owner, that's when my results began to change. So the mindset have an abundance mindset, entrepreneur mindset. The mindset trumps the skill set. Get the mindset first. Love it, man. The mindset trumps the skill set. Yes. It means take action. Yep. You, you, you can sit and listen to these podcasts and listen to the education until you're blue in the, blue in the face. But if you don't get out there and actually do something with it, then it's useless. I love that, man. Great call today, man. I'm looking forward to doing this again sometime with you in the near future. Um, if our listeners, if you're, if you're watching this podcast right now, I want you to go out and, and, and check out Juan's uh, YouTube page at hundred uh, percent financed. Also check out his website, hundred percent finance.com. I'll link everything in the description box below. Uh, he has a webinar as well, uh, which will show you how you can get started, uh, in real estate and doing what he does in the uh, multi-unit realm. And at the end of the day, he's a great guy. You know, um, he was uh, gracious enough to come on this podcast, share his information with us. And uh, we're thankful for that, man. We appreciate you for that. But um, go ahead, check out Juan's uh, uh, website. Check out the links in the description box. If you're listening to this on Apple or on Spotify or any of the, any of the uh, 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 podcast platforms, um, be sure to check out this YouTube video so you can visually see us and then you'll have all the information you need in the description box as well. Like this video, subscribe to it, uh, to this channel, subscribe to Juan's channel as well. And uh, we look forward to uh, uh, also let us know if you have any comments, Uh, let us know how you felt about this episode. And uh, Juan and I, we're, we're looking forward to to getting some feedback on it. And uh, we know that you guys are going to, um, uh, come with the with with the sauce, okay. So uh, definitely, um, let us know what's on your mind. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know if we can help you further in your real estate business. And we're looking forward to to helping you create that financial freedom that you want in real estate as well. But it's been a real pleasure, man, and uh, pleasure having you guys listening on on today's podcast. And we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Check out my website at reieducationacademy.com to make it easy 
you can just simply go to jamelgibbs.com or check out my YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash Jamel Gibbs. I'm all over the web, whether it be on Facebook slash the Jamel Gibbs or on Instagram at Jamel Gibbs. I'm in LinkedIn as well. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Snapchat. Check out all of these platforms for daily content, weekly content, more content from Jamel Gibbs. But if you want to get more in depth, go to REI Education Academy. Com. And that's how you can find out more about my training material and how you can get started investing in real estate today. Talk to you later.